Mac Power Users, Episode 293, MPU Live for December 1st, 2015. everyone. It's David Sparks along with my pal, Katie Floyd. How are you today, Katie? I'm well, David. How are you? Oh, I'm so excited. Every month, the it seems like the uh, the live show rolls around. And it's one of my favorite things to do every month is to go through all the feedback. We've had so much great feedback this month from listeners. We always have a, a nice kind of mini guest come in. There's a lot to talk about. And uh, boy, it's a good time to be a Mac slash iOS user, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, you know, we're we are you accommodated me. We are recording this live show a little bit ahead of schedule. So hello to everybody who's listening live on the Relay FM app um, and to all of you in the chat room. Um, I'm getting ready to put my head down and go dark and take some finals and do some crazy things before the holidays. So uh, thank you, everyone, for accommodating my schedule and uh, send us some feedback. How do you like this recording on a on a, the live show on a week weekend instead of a, a weekday? And, and maybe we'll consider doing this more often. Uh, but we well, are well, doing the official. But just the official reason is that Katie has exams. But the the real reason we all know is that on the 5th, the usually scheduled day, I'm having my Star Wars party. You know, I'm having a Star Wars party, right? You're having a Star Wars party on the 5th? I am. I'm having a bunch of friends over, going to be barbecuing, and we're going to watch all three of the prior Star Wars movies. I did not get an invite to this party. Well, you you would be. You are. Katie Floyd, you are invited. If you show up, you can sleep on my couch, whatever. Although I think doing your exam with the force in the room is going to be difficult. That there's be going to be lots of screaming and hollering going yeah, on. Yeah, I'll be taking an exam all day that day. But anyway, with, without further ado, um, we do want to uh, welcome uh, our very special guest to Mac Power Users. And thank you for accommodating our wacky schedule. Um, welcome Chelsea Cook to the show. Hello. It's been really great to finally be on. I've been listening to you guys for years and I'm really excited to finally beyond chelsea cook is an impressive person just to let our listeners know she's a uh, <laughs> she's getting her phd in physics currently at the catholic university in washington dc yeah um, so it's not like it's you know what is it well i guess it kind of is so yeah it, it, it kind of is rocket science in some ways and uh, chelsea is a is a very clever geek she does all sorts of of uh, geeky things with her Max and iOS devices, and also she happens to be blind. And uh, Chelsea and I have talked to each other offline a few times, and I'm always impressed with the ways that she's getting so much done, even with, you know, having to deal with these problems of not being able to see the screen. And I thought, you know, this would be a great uh, little uh, mini guest on our show to kind of talk to our listeners about how you pull all this off. So, so Chelsea, um, and we're going to, we may have you back someday to talk about the Mac because there's so much to, to show here. I don't, I don't want to, you know, go the whole show on it, uh, but I thought for today we'd focus on iOS. So, so tell me a little bit about you and uh, using the iPhone and the iPad. Sure. Um, so as David said, I've been using iOS for a while, actually, since around 20, 2011. I remember that the first, um, iPhone 4 that came out on Verizon, I had it practically on launch day because it was this pent-up moment. Uh, The iPhone 3GS had come out in 2009, but at that time it was still exclusive to AT&T. And that was the first one with VoiceOver. Um, VoiceOver is a screen reader that 
talked to you and a lot of blind people uh, before then were like, how are we ever going to use a touchscreen? But Apple kind of solved this problem for us and did it in a very innovative way. And so they came up with voiceover and came up with gestures for controlling it. And by the time the iPhone 4 rolled around, I was very excited to, to get my hands on one. And then it just sort of happened from there. I mean, before there were solutions, but they were sort of clunky and required you to pay high prices for things. Um, but when the iPhone came out, suddenly I could use my phone for more than just literally calling and answering uh, people on the on the phone. I could text, I could do all of the app things. I had GPS in my pocket. It was it was great. And then um, I I took an internship in 2012, and they got me started on the iPad. So I've have both of them now, and use both of them very much for a lot of different things. Yeah, back when I was in law school, I I spent a um a semester. I was an extern for a federal judge, and one of my friends was working for the U.S. attorney, and she was visually impaired, and. And this was in the 90s, and she had some really, really impressive technology to kind of help her out. But it was all very custom. And the thing she used to complain about me, because even back then, of course, I was a nerd, was, you know, like all the stuff I was doing, she couldn't do because they didn't have that custom piece of software uh, go anywhere else. It was only like a little box you were in that you could work in. But but talking to you, it sounds like you're able to use a lot of the same apps we talk about every day on the show um, uh, on your phone and your, on your Mac. Yeah. A lot of them, it really depends on what the developers do. Some of them actually make them accessible by accident. And so when people emailing them, telling them that it's a good job or, or they have a little bit of a problem, the developers are like, what voiceover? What is this? Um, so that's actually the, the really great thing about, for me about the Apple ecosystem is that it, it is mainstream. You know, I can take, a Mac or an iOS device and or an Apple Watch now um, and just open it and start using it right out of the box. I mean, again, not, not talking about the Mac too much, but you still have to do a lot of fiddling and working and scripting with Windows to even try to get that to work. And so just the feeling that I can break my computer or my iOS device and then go fix it myself is really great and really limited liberating some apps are still having issues with um custom software in terms of applications but a lot of a lot of mainstream ones are getting getting better and that's one thing that i think is so great well you know one of the things you mentioned that a lot of developers aren't even aware that they've built in voiceover support is that because it's just so ingrained at the development level from Apple's standpoint that if the developers are using Apple's standard APIs and, you know, Apple's kind of standard ways of developing things that it just supports voiceover right out of the box? Is it that ingrained into the OS? Yes. You, you know, one of the things you told me that uh, to me was kind of shocking, really, was I said, you know, what are some of your favorite features of the phone? And you said the camera. You know, and I'm like, well, wait a second. Well, so why is the camera so important? But then you started explaining to me and the camera is really, in some ways, an extra pair of eyes for you. So the camera really, like you said, it it definitely can be can be an extra pair of eyes. I mean, um, I don't rely on it all the time, but it is nice to to have it there. So, for example, sometimes 
uh, when when I carry cash around, there's an app that I can use to look at money. There's an app, there's a few of them actually, that will let me identify objects, assuming that I can get them in the frame correctly. Uh, there's an app that we just released that is a pretty good um, scanning app, and it was specifically designed by uh, Ray Kurzweil using his technology, the, the KNFB Reader, and it does a really great job of doing um, OCR and just because I, I hear you guys talking a lot about the um, optical character recognition and a lot of your, your paperless workflows, David. And really, if, if it can't do OCR, then it's not of use to me. Yeah. Now, now, wait a second. You're going real fast. So what's the name of that new app? I want to take a look at it. Um, yeah. the, the new one, uh, or it was just released last year and we were all kind of waiting for it. It's called um, KNFP Reader. KNFP. Okay. We'll put that in the show notes. Yeah. And it, it is on the more expensive side, um, but it does definitely do a lot of, there's just a lot of technology built into it. And the reason that it came out so late in terms of the iPhone cycle is because this is the, really the first time with iOS 8 and iOS 9 that Apple opened up the camera APIs and the cameras got good enough uh, that they got the quality that they wanted. Yeah, well, that would make sense. And and the camera is like a lot better now. So it, it can be. So, so just as a, an example, like you could be out in a restaurant and like take a picture of a menu and it would give you that? Or is that, is that an example of what it would do? Yes. Um, um, of course, with all of these, your modeling tends to vary on the uh, quality of the image and the lighting quality. Um, but it definitely can do a lot. I mean, my favorite even is sometimes just I'll, you know, if I, if I'm getting ready to, um, go teach or go to an important meeting or something. And I just want a pair of eyeballs to look me over. Sometimes I'll leave and FaceTime my mom and go, uh, these match, right? <laughs> yeah. You know what? I, I, I do the same thing. <laughs> so we're okay there. <laughs> uh, my daughter, I just have her come in to check me out before I go where. And, and I, so, and I, I have trouble matching as well. So don't worry about that at all. Um, the, uh, so, so what, how else do you use it in terms, cause I know you, you were telling me you use it for play and you use it for productivity. Give us some more examples of how you're using your iOS devices for productivity. Yeah. And maybe some specific apps that, that you're using. Sure. Um, we're just going back to the camera for, for a minute. If people are interested, the, the currency app that I like to use is called look, tell money reader. Um, and it's, it's one of those apps where it just does one thing well and it identifies currency. Um, but really, I think the power in productivity in iOS for me has just come from replacing all of these specialized devices that I used to carry around with me. Um, and in the same way, that the cost has come down significantly. Um, you know, now a lot of the government reading services have applications so you can just download log in and, and then start downloading books um one of them is bard mobile um and that one can can read books to you from the from the library of congress if they're in audio or, or braille format 
Um, but a lot of it just comes from the power of accessing information. So, like, trying to think of a specific example. Like, like for example, in your PhD program, I'm sure you're reading a lot of academic papers. Uh, does iOS help you out on that regard, or do uh, you do something else for that? It can. Um, it depends on what format they're they're written in, but a lot of times the the PDFs, uh, iOS, in the iBooks app, it tends to organize them a little bit nicer than on other platforms. Um, so actually, my favorite way of consuming PDFs is through through iBooks. Um, PDF has formatting issues in itself, but we we won't go there. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it really just, just kind of depends. So like one of the examples that I love here probably doesn't, well, it uses iOS and the, and the Apple watch, but I just moved to DC, which is thankfully one of the cities that now supports public transit in Apple maps. Yeah. And I can plan a route on my phone. Um, of course it won't tell me everything about what's kind of, in the way and, and working, but it will tell me what metro stops I have to get on and off. And then when I actually go and execute the route and plan on where I'm going, um, that information is all on my watch. And so my phone can stay safely away and I just have all the information I need on, on the watch. You know, when I was up at WWDC this year, I met a, a bunch of Apple engineers. And at one of the parties, I just bumped into this guy who was on the accessibility team. And he was um, passionate about saying they want Apple wants the watch and the iPhone and the iPad, the, particularly the iOS devices to to give you everything you need. And 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 I, at one point I asked him, I said, so what is the you know, what is the model for that? I mean, for the resources, they don't they don't care about making money on that. I, you know, and I know they're a big company. They care about making money, but it, they, it seems like they're very passionate about trying to make it so you can get everything you need with their devices. Um, do you experience um, an increase in usability recently? I think so. Um, a lot of. There have been a lot of bugs that have been squashed in iOS 9, which is yeah. great. Um, a lot of voiceover bugs and then a lot of just general general bugs as well. So right now, I think usability is, is on, the, um, on the uptick sort of a completely new uh, input method. I'm really excited to see what 3D Touch is going to do because that can um, speed things up even even more. But it really just kind of just depends. I mean, even the other thing I find with iOS in, in general as well, now after getting more complicated, but in general, because the apps are somewhat more simplified than, say, their web counterparts, sometimes it can actually be easier to access information or do something through a mobile application than just on the web. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that makes sense. And, and it's nice to see that, you know, I, one of the uh, chat room uh, listeners said, well, what's the difference between Android and iOS on this is one better than the other. And, um, and I know that both companies are actually pretty, they're duking it out. They both really want to support you. Yeah, they really do. I think iOS has had more time to do it. And um, that's actually kind of an interesting intellectual property discussion about, well, which gestures can be used for which operating system, because a lot of times 
these companies want to try and patent their input methods. And if they do that, then you lose some standard level of user experience. Um, so there's, there's that issue. And then there's, there's a couple more um, just sort of philosophy-wise on how Apple and Google tend to do things and have operating system rollouts uh, and, and that sort of thing. But yeah, they're they're getting pretty close. Um, I am obviously still a big iPhone person, but they're 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 getting pretty close, and, and Google is is getting better. Right. We have a lot of developers who listen to the show, and you, as someone who relies on um, voiceover and the accessibility features, if you could speak to the developers, I mean, what would you like to tell them? What is important for them? What do they need to know? Because you you mentioned that so many developers just stumble into accessibility, um, but it really can be a feature, I would imagine, that they, they need to be implementing for their audience. Right. I mean, one of the greatest examples of this would be the guys over at Workflow. Um, their first app, it or the, the first, when they first released, it kind of worked with voiceover, but then they got a lot of feedback from blind people and, and blind and visually impaired beta testers. And now they have a very good, very good app in terms of design and accessibility. I, I think they even won a, an Apple design award for it. But I mean, that's just an example of, of a really great implementation. And what I would say to the developers is of course, try and follow Apple's guidelines that doesn't necessarily mean you you have to there there are some custom apps and games that have their own engines and some of them work uh, with voiceover because the developers have put in that that extra effort um but i think also just sort of listen to your audience and see what um see what they have to say and if, if, a, if a blind person emails you going I use voiceover and I want to make this work you know really try and listen to that if if you can um, or even put a description in your um, app store page that that it's compatible because if it if it is and if it truly is then people will discover it a lot more um, there's a site appleviz.com that has a lot of great people on it and it also has uh, bunches and bunches of app directories for each platform telling what apps are accessible and which ones need a little bit of work so it just really depends because a lot of it is still trial and error and word of mouth as far as app discovery goes uh, could, chelsea could you give me the name of that site again is it apple <laughs> So it's AppleVis.com. Okay. I use a Z and it's trying to install Flash. I got, I hit the wrong site. Oops. <laughs> Whoops. Anyway. Um, well, it, you know, it really is remarkable how much you get done. And when we talk on the phone, I can hear because you're using voiceover on the Mac. And, uh, you know, it's really actually from an outsider's perspective, impressive about how efficient you are on the machine. Uh, having the, you know, not having the ability to see a screen, but and still getting all this work done. I am constantly surprised and amazed at, um, at some of the great things that you're doing. So, so what do you do with your iOS stuff for fun, uh, when you're not, you know, getting your PhD or solving the world's problems? <laughs> um, well, I tend to listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I use downcast for that right now. I've been sort of having this 
weird war in my head over which one, if I want to switch to Overcast or not, but I'm still not decided. Um, So I I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of reading. I do a lot of um, some playing games, depending on which games they they are. Um, Because, again, this is the other thing that iOS has opened up, is because these devices have so many inputs to to the CPU, you can do a lot with them. And so a lot of games, some of the audio games use, of course, 3D audio, but then they can also use the gyroscope and accelerometer to really, and the vibration to really give you a feel for what's going on in in a game. Um, so those are... Some of your so, favorites, yeah. Oh boy, that's hard. Um, <laughs> I think for an audio game, I'd have to say my my favorite would be the a game called The Night Jar. These people have put out uh, a couple other horror game type of titles, but the and which are good. But The Night Jar is my favorite. It's this sort of space science fiction theme where you're this astronaut who's left behind and you have to get off the ship before the aliens find you. Um, Oh, you know, I played one like that as well. That was on a planet and it was the same thing where you, and you had to like explore the planet. And, and this one was kind of unique because it was one of the first ones that went over to the watch and it would send you messages. Like it, your little guy would say, okay, now I'm going to, what should I do? And I'd say, walk towards the crater. And then like two hours later, he would text message me that he got to the crater. Oh yeah. That, that one I think is the lifeline one, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, I I played that as well. Um, that's also accessible with voiceover because it is text based. Uh, the, the night jar is audio based though. And so. Oh. Yeah. You can hear different things. Um, you can hear if you're walking on wood or metal or, or where things are, and you, you swipe the screen to, to turn around. Um, so it's just a, a different mode of gameplay, but it, it is still really cool. Um, the other one that I like to use is could sort of be a fun and work-related one is um, Sleep Cycle, actually, because that's the app that will track and monitor your sleep patterns and wake you up at the optimum time. Yeah. And for a physics student who doesn't get a lot of sleep in the first place, <laughs> it's very <laughs> Yeah. I Every see little that bit helps. Yeah. <laughs> so Chelsea, tell people a little bit about, um, so you're, you're a physics student. Um, what are you, what are you up to? What is, are you studying a specific area or have you decided yet? So I definitely want to do something with astrophysics or space. I've always been interested in NASA and human space exploration and what we can do to go up there and make things better and just find cool things about the universe. Um, I'm still trying to decide if I want to go more into the theoretical part with cosmology or more into the sort of... um, space engineering part but i love everything to do with it and that's actually um one of the things too where where ios has helped me out i basically on that internship where i got the ipad i spent a summer designing um and a couple of accessible astronomy images um a lot of them had been around a couple of them had been around in tactile form for a while but tactile books are 
and braille books are awesome, but they can they can degrade over time and things can happen to them just as you can with physical print books. And so what I was doing with this was basically trying to see if um, someone could get information from images just by feeling them on the on the touch screen. And we used HTML and for the most part it worked fairly well um, for spatial things. For size and shape, you, you still need to have a bit more information. Um, but I really think that's where the future of iOS, for me, if I was ever to do any coding, um, would be going because I, I just think that there's so much potential for, you know, you can actually feel on that screen where where you are. And that's generally not as useful to do on a on a computer uh you can on the mac of course um and on windows to a certain extent but i haven't played with windows to test it Um, as you say that i can understand why you're so excited about 3d touch because that is like the perfect interface for that it it really is um and so i'm just really excited to, to see what's what's going to happen i mean my you talk about your white whale apps all the time. Well, mine is a, a sort of graphing calculator or, or something where you can do something with, with matrices on iOS because right now it's sort of very cumbersome and kludgy and you have to really think about where you are in space. But just taking the spatial dimension out of it would would be really great. Um, and there's a link uh, to an iBook that those images ended up in if you want to put that in the show notes I can send that to you. Yeah, please send yeah. it to me. We will put it in. Well, Chelsea, where can people find you? Um, do you blog? Do you tweet? If people wanted to keep up with you and just kind of uh, the projects that you're working on, is there any place in particular we can send them? So right now, not necessarily. I want to definitely get a, um, a site up eventually. Uh, I, I do have a TED Talk up, which Dave is linked to. Yep. Yep, I just put a link to that in the show notes as well. Hey, but if people are, are definitely interested and, and want to talk to me, they can they can definitely email me. Um, and I can my Virginia Tech email um, is pretty easy to remember. It's just cook twenty ten at vt dot edu. Awesome. And everybody, uh, if you send Chelsea an email, understand she's a student. She might not reply immediately. I don't want to flood her. I, I want to be responsible for her trouble. So, but yeah. Yeah. But, you know, anyone, uh, anyone out on the West Coast doing great enterprising NASA type things. Yeah. So, so you guys can send me email. <laughs> Give Chelsea a job when to hire Chelsea. We should start a, we should start a, a um, what's that called? A, a hashtag. Yeah, there we go. There we go. Well, Chelsea, Chelsea, you are an impressive, impressive woman. And uh, we are thrilled to have you on the show. And we wish you the best of luck finishing up your degree. And and thank you so much for making time for us. Oh, thank you. This has been great. I'm so excited to get in touch with you guys. All right, Chelsea. Well, we will we will let you go. And uh, we we look forward to having you back sometime soon. Great. Thank you. All right. Bye bye. All right. Well, we've got a lot of feedback to cover today, but before we do that, let's talk about our first sponsor. Yeah, our first sponsor for this episode is a new sponsor to Mac Power users, and that is the folks over at Arc. And we all know that offsite backups are a critical part of a well-rounded backup strategy. But if you want to have as much control over this process as possible, uh, you need to check out Arc Backup. Um, that's at arcbackup.com slash MPU. That's A-R-Q 
backup.com slash MPU. Arc backs up all of the files on your Mac or PC, including all of the metadata. Everything is encrypted with a password that only you know uh, before it ever leaves your computer, meaning that all of your files are safe and secure in transit to the remote servers. Um, Arc stores all of your backed up data in your own cloud storage account. So this is the big distinguisher with Arc. You pick out where you're going to store your data. You keep control of your data. So if you've already got a Google Drive account, you can leverage that space in Google Drive. You can back up your data to Dropbox. You can back up your data to OneDrive. You pick where you want it. You can uh, store it to Amazon Web Services or anywhere that Arc supports, if you go on their website, a number of different cloud services. Arc's just going to give you multiple options. Uh, And these backups are versioned. You can go back in time and grab a file that's changed or that's been deleted um, very easily. So let me tell you about a a use case that I used for ARC. Now, you all know that I'm a huge fan of online backup. um, And I also manage a number of computers for my family members. Uh, I've got a grandfather who's got an older computer. It's a 2011 iMac that we have handed down. And my job is to keep that computer running. And if anything goes wrong, it's my fault. I mean, you guys know how that works, right? Um, I don't touch it. I don't have anything to do with it. But if it breaks, I've got to fix it. If anything goes wrong, it's my fault. So I insisted that he have some kind of online backup solution. And, And we were previously using one of the other online backup solutions. And they were great. But it was really a sledgehammer when we didn't need a sledgehammer because my grandfather has almost no data. He's got, I think we looked, you know, he's got less than 10 gigabytes of data to back up. And we were paying, I mean, not a ton of money, but relatively speaking, we were paying for this big online backup solution and using just really a very small minuscule portion of it. So what we did is, is we got ARC and my grandfather had a Gmail account. We used the the storage that he already had in Google Drive. So he had all of this storage in Google Drive that he wasn't using. I think they give you 20 gigs by default, if not more than that. We connected Arc to his Google Drive account. We made sure that the backup happened and that everything was backed up. And then we were able to cancel his online backup subscription, saved a ton of money. He was happy uh, because he wasn't paying for the online backup service anymore. I was happy because his data was back up and, and that was it. Um, so if you want more information, you can go check it out. Visit arcbackup.com, A-R-Q backup.com slash MPU to learn more, to try it for free. And thanks to Arc for their support of the show. All right. Uh, we had uh, several listener questions that came in this month. I thought some of them were pretty good. Uh, Jose wrote in and we did an episode on the Apple TV. Uh, you still loving your Apple TV, by the way, Katie? I am. You know, I have t- we uh, as we record this. Um, you know, we've gone past Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and a couple of places yeah. had Apple TVs on special. I tried oh, so hard to buy an Apple TV and failed. Oh, really? Why? I could not get one. They were sold out everywhere they were on sale. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Yeah. But my, uh, you know, the Plex thing has been a huge game that's, changer for me. That's the killer. That's I it. Always, I always knew it would, but I just didn't want to screw around with, you know, the old version of Apple TV. You really had to hack it to get Plex working. And every time you got an update to the Apple TV, everything would break again. And I just didn't want to put the time in to keep that working. But now that it's supported, it's really easy. And just the other day, I was um, I was hankering for the um, Master and Commander movie. I read all those books years ago. And uh, so I went and I knew it was on the hard drive upstairs connected to my Mac. So I just went in the Plex app and and had all the movies I had ripped over the years there. And my daughter was on the couch and she says, wait, how did you do that? 
you know, was it she Magic. immediately realized the the benefit. So yeah, Plex is a is a game changer there. But anyway, well, Jose wrote in to say, hey, uh, Dave and Katie, uh, like I'm I'm gonna get an Apple TV. I don't know whether she get a 32 or a 64 gigabyte one. What do you recommend? Katie, what do you okay. Uh, it, it depends. How, how's that for your typical lawyer answer? Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> it depends. Um, I got a 32 gig Apple TV and I think for, for my primary Apple TV and my, my rationale was I, I always knew that I was going to buy a second Apple TV. And if, if 32 didn't work for me, I could get, I could always go get a 64 and yeah. you know, like move the 32 to my secondary TV. I have not run into any limitation with the 32 yet, but my use of the Apple TV is primarily, you know, I'm just streaming content. I'm streaming content from my Plex server. I'm streaming content from the cloud. I'm streaming content for iTunes. I don't download games. I, I have no desire to game. We've, we've discussed that ad nauseum on the show. I'm not a gamer. Um, I'm not downloading a lot of apps. I've got maybe a dozen apps on the Apple TV, so I'm not really filling it up with apps. So I think you've got to decide if 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 you're going to be downloading a lot of apps, and in particular, if you're going to use the Apple TV as a gaming device, get the 64 gig. Um, I'm wondering, you know, the future, you know, if you're the, the difference between the 34 and the 62 is is basically how much you're going to be able to store in memory without, you know, buffering. For me, if I'm just streaming video and streaming content, it, it's not that big of a deal, but I think depending on the apps that you want to run, you may want to look at 64. It's not that much of an upgrade to double your storage. Yeah, 50 bucks. I, you know, one observation I'd make is is in my family, there's there's four of us. And actually, there's more because our house is kind of like the home of wandering people. And so there's lots of people using the device and, and there's a lot more than 12 apps on it. Um, one thing I notice is is photos because you know I I've bought into the photos thing. I have all my my photographs in Apple Photos. One of the nice benefits of that is I can put them on the TV anytime I want. They've got an app built into the new version. I don't think we even talked about this on that TV show, but it, it's really nice. But when you go to a three year old catalog, it's not on your device, and and it has to download those photos, and that takes a little while. But what I've noticed is as we've been populating that, because we go and look at, 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 you know, galleries all the time, that those galleries are remaining there. And I would think that if you have a lot of photos, that's another reason you may want a bigger one. So it's just yeah. if you've got something media heavy, you want to keep on device, spend the extra 50 bucks. If not, you're, you're fine with 32. Well, so. and I, th I think we're going to see the Apple TV get updated for more. I mean, it doesn't support iCloud photo right now. Yeah. Or iCloud photo library. Yeah. Um, um, we, we did have a, while we're on the topic of Apple TV, I, I know you've got this later in the outline, but I, I think it makes sense to, to mention sure. it now. Um, Jason wrote in and, you know, we talked in that Apple TV show, I mentioned Apple care and why would you ever buy Apple care for the Apple TV? I mentioned that I didn't buy it, but then I thought after my purchase, well, maybe I should have bought it because that remote, you can easily drop it and it will shatter. Yeah, and then yeah. Jason Jason pointed out that you know this is Apple Care this is not Apple Care Plus Apple Care and Jason confirmed this with someone in his Apple store and unfortunately because his son dropped the remote 2 feet in the kitchen and broke it about a week after he got it sorry about that Jason um that Apple Care does not cover a broken remote it is yeah, not Apple, it is not Apple Care Plus it is Apple Care I kind of blame Katie Floyd for one more like uh, problem I have in my life is every time I walk through our family room, 
my eyes just wander to wherever the Apple TV remote is. And I wonder, you know, is it at peril with gravity right now? Because as much as I want to keep it on Why the shelf. Why are you blaming me for that? That's because just... you're the one who you're the one who told me how easy it is to break these things. And now I can't stop thinking about it. And my kids don't have nearly the concern I have for that remote. Well, you just tell your <laughs> Quite kids often cough, I find it balanced cough it up. On the, it's uh, 80 bucks. Yeah, I find it balanced on the uh, the sofa shoulder. And I'm like, oh, man, this is, this is going to make me crazy. Well, here's uh, what we, you do. We, you, you take the special fancy Siri remote. You put it away somewhere, like in a drawer. And yeah. then you put the silver remote out and then you let the kids use the silver remote. And then when you want to do something with the Apple TV, you pull out the fancy Siri remote. <laughs> so it's the dad remote at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm pretty sure that wouldn't go over that well. Anyway. Uh, so hey, we heard from our friend David Wayne, who's been on the show a few times. And he I had a that ser- David Wayne sends us feedback and comments. Yeah, I know. <laughs> well, I like that he's listening. Um, so uh, he has a Siri question. He, like you and I, he uses reminders to send um uh you know reminders into his reminders app on his phone with Siri Which and is then, things. Yeah, he uses yeah. things. And they have well, that same back through linkage that OmniFocus does. Exactly. So he things is his uh is his task manager, but he gets it there through the reminders app using Siri. And he's been having a lot of trouble since iOS nine. He thought it was broken. He's and he the the um the language he uses, he says, remember to do that Facebook post. And and um and he's getting it's go, opening up the Facebook app and giving him trouble. And he says, I don't really know what, what's going on. And um, and I, I think the problem he has is, unfortunately, this is a thing where you need to learn to speak the way the computers listen, you know. And so I, I switch the order. I always say add, you know, buy carrots to my inbox list in reminders. So I don't I don't say remind me to buy carrots. It, because it, it just causes too many trouble. So so if you use the context, you know, add blank to my blank list in reminders, it works almost every time. Yeah, I or I would say add create Facebook post to my reminders list or add yeah. create Facebook post to my things list. However, he's got it set up. Yeah. And, or, and or perhaps remind me to insert whatever here. Yeah. But once you get that down and, and unfortunately, that's where we're at right now. We'd like to think that Siri is a real person and can understand whatever context we use, but she or he is not. Wait, wait. she's not. She's I not. thought I because there was that episode of the Big Bang Theory where Raj found her. Yeah, didn't he like fall in love with her at some yeah, point? Yeah, and then he found her. Yeah, well, You're saying that's not true. I'm no, so at least there's not one in my phone. Maybe in yours. It's not uh, silver in the chat room says Siri is not Jarvis, unfortunately. Okay. Okay, uh, We we got uh, feedback on mail tags. I had talked about mail tags, I believe, in our last live show or one of the shows we've done recently. I had mentioned that I'm using increasingly mail tags to uh, code up the stuff that I'm doing on the day job in the law practice uh, to tag mail to projects. And I'm dealing with, you know, how can I make that more efficient, et cetera. And Jonathan said, well, you know, rather than do that, why don't you just put it in a bunch of nested folders? And uh, I've talked about this before. I just don't like the nested folders. It's very easy to get stuff in the wrong folder. Then when you go, it's just like this massive list because I have a lot of clients. And And it gets messy. Yeah. uh, But I'll tell you one thing I have learned since the last time I mentioned this on the show. I'm going to do a blog post on Max Sparky is uh, mail tags is very good, especially when combined with mail act on. Uh, to apply rules. And the thing I wasn't doing, which I should have been doing is from day one. And Katie, because I know you're using mail tags now too. You should, yeah, you I've should just take started. note of this. Yeah. Uh, put, put rules in. So you say if like, let's say you've got 
a customer that's the Acme company, you know, and and they um and you email frequently, you know, Wiley Coyote at Acme and you'd say, OK, so make a rule that anytime I have an email that goes to Wiley Coyote or from Wiley Coyote, uh, tag it with the Acme project or tag or or assign it to the Acme project or give it this tag. So you just go through and if you use some clever use of rules, almost all of your email uh, related to work can get automatically tagged for you. David, I've been uh, doing that since day one. Okay. Well, I hadn't because, (laughs) uh, you know, and you never mentioned it. So shame on you for not telling me. I should have mentioned it. Yeah, but but anyway, so spend some time setting up your rules and be very careful with your rules. That's something like it's like um, it's like the what is it in the um, you know, connect crossing the streams. You know, oh if, yeah, if you, if, if you mess if you up a rule, the rule like right, all of your email goes somewhere and you never yeah, see it again. Exactly. So so be careful when you do it. But but if you if you spend a little time using mail tags, you can almost take all the work out of that. So yeah, that, there's a little tip for you that Katie Floyd knew and I finally figured out. Yeah, sorry about that. Should told you. Yeah, I've got some other issues with with mail tags. Like I don't use keywords. I only use projects. So I'd like to get rid of keywords, but I can't seem to figure that out. I'll have to yeah. email them. Yeah. With a feature request. I'm just using projects too. I, I, did, I didn't bother with tags. I just want projects. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, we heard from John. You want to talk about that one? Yeah. John has a question um, I don't have an answer to. So I don't know if you have an answer. If not, um, maybe we can send this discussion over to our Google group. Um, but John's wife uses PowerPoint and they're an Apple family. So he's trying to get her to move over to Keynote. But the one thing that is keeping her is she gives presentations regularly and they'll take a break in the presentation and she'll say, OK, we have to be back in 10 minutes. And then one of her slides will be a, a countdown timer and it will be, you know, our break ends in 10 minutes. And then on the screen will be, you know, 10 minutes, nine minutes and 59 seconds, 58, 57, 56. So a, a timer that counts down. Um I don't, and he's asking, is there, is there a break timer that she could insert into her keynote doc that will display in large numbers, the countdown mode so that people know when they have to be back from the break? Yeah, I don't have an answer for him. I I didn't have enough time to look into whether we could embed like an HTML timer into a slide, but part of me wants to think that we could with a little work. Yeah, there's got to be a solution. So maybe the Mac Power Users community could, could take this on. You know, we do have that Mac Power Users group group. That might yeah. be a good place for this question. But I, I also did look in the app store. There's there is there's actually an app called Break Countdown Timer that does a good job of filling the screen with a countdown timer. So she could pause her presentation and and run this break countdown timer. And using the keyboard combinations that we talked about in the books and we talked about in the show, you can you, know, you can like blank the screen on your presentation so it doesn't look all wonky. And um and then you could have the break countdown timer on the screen that would that would physically do it a countdown, but it's just not embedded in a slide. So that's in the app store. There's no re there's not enough reviews of it to make it, you know, to know whether it's any good, but it's a buck. So I would take a shot for a dollar. Um, we heard from Dean about continuity issues, and this is one that I thought was worth including because I suspect a lot of people are, are um, dealing with this. He says he's curious about whether we're having issues making phone calls from our Macs via continuity. He says he can receive calls and send them, but sometimes they, they get faint on the other end or there's a delay and they have issues. Um, uh, and then he's even tried routing it through external microphones like his Rode Podcaster and Apple iPhone headset and the problem persists. Um, 
I this was one of the things I was excited about when I left the firm and and started working from home quite often is that I could, you know, put this stuff to use. And like Dean, I've had similar problems. I went online and researched just a little bit, and it seems like the culprit is Bluetooth. That, you know, I know I understand that it requires Wi-Fi and Bluetooth to make this connection happen, but there is a delay. And quite often I, like Dean, end up just going and tapping the button on my phone to transfer the call over. In fact, it, it's got to the point where I keep a, a set of earbuds hanging over near my computer that I can quickly swap over if things start getting weird. Uh, it's not always, and the, and the maddening part is it's not always that way. Sometimes it works really great. So um, it seems to me like Apple has a little work to do there. I was hoping it would get better with El Capitan. I'm not sure that it necessarily has. But it, it sure is nice using like one of the launchers to, to dial the phone, you know, from your keyboard. Do you use continuity much? Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, to transfer, like if I start an email on my phone and to transfer it back to my Mac or if I've got a doc, a web page open on my phone and I want it to swipe it over to my Mac. Or, I, I don't I don't take many calls on my Mac, though. I mean, like only as a last resort, if, I, if I, the phone's ringing and I know that it's in the next room and I'm not going to get it. Yeah. I, the other thing I do is um, I've got a... Um, I take them on my iPad sometimes because I sometimes will go sit somewhere where my phone's not necessarily next to me. And it, that's very convenient as well. I, I have I mean, on occasion answered a call, a couple of calls on my watch and people generally don't know. Yeah. It's, it's much better than you think. Um, if you've got a watch, try it. Yeah. Hey, let's take a minute and talk about our next sponsor. And that's our friends over at fracture. Now fracture is the place we love to go to get our pictures printed. We've all got these great pictures. You've got this iPhone in your pocket now that takes amazing pictures. And you've probably got a computer with gigabytes and gigabytes of pictures. I had to laugh earlier when you said your, your grandfather only had 10 gigabytes. Yeah, well, you know. I'm old enough to remember that was a lot of data at some point. But but we've got these great pictures. They're shot with high fidelity. And, these, you know, and, and we've got them on a computer. We don't have them on our walls. We don't have them in photo books anymore. Uh, and I, I think that's a shame. And so Fracture fixes this problem. You know, what are the issues you have in terms of getting pictures printed? Well, the first is a hassle. You got to go to the store. Uh, you know, you got to get the file, whatever. Fracture, does, you don't have to do that. You just upload the photo and it comes to you in the mail. Uh, the second thing is you get the picture when you get it blown up. And what are you going to do with it? You got to go like get a frame. You got to make sure the frame fits. Then you got to manage to get the picture into the frame and make sure it's straight. And there's just a whole bunch of stuff going on. So that's a whole hassle. You don't have to do that with Fracture either. Fracture prints your photo on glass. It looks just like the surface of the iPhone, you know, where the where it looks like the image is right on the face of the glass. It's like that. It's gorgeous. And and so then let's say you've got it framed and then you need to hang it on the wall. Well, you got to go get a picture hanger and you've got to probably attach some wire to it. It's just a big pain. Fracture solves that problem, too. When you get it in the mail, it comes with a little screw. You screw into the wall and you hang it up there. The whole thing is done for you. And they look better than ever. It makes the picture the focus of the event, not the frame around it. Uh, we have a bunch of them around our house. I keep buying them because I, I just love these guys and what they do. Anyway, uh, they wanted to say thank you to everybody that's been supporting them uh, the past year. A lot of our listeners have sent us pictures and, and written in about how they love their fractures. And they want to say, hey, look, you know, if you want to get some for Christmas, this is a great time to do it. 
get those pictures submitted as soon as possible because uh, this is not a um, you know this is not a simple procedure what they do and they need enough time to get it made and get it shipped to you. By the way, the shipping is amazing. You know when you get these, you think because I ordered some really big ones. And you worry about that, but it comes the way it's shipped. I've never had any problem. It always shows up exactly, you know, looking perfect and ready to go up on the wall. Uh, and, and then aside to all that, because they're not using a fancy frame, it's not that heavy. So it's easy to hang it on any wall. So anyway, dive into those pictures and photos sitting uh, and collecting dust on your computer and your camera roll and pick a few to show. Um, it, it really comes out brilliant. The website is FractureMe.com, and that's where you can use the code Mac 15, M-A-C-1-5. That's all, all caps, one word. All caps, M-A-C-1-5. Uh, and, and it gives you 15% off your first order. That's Mac 15 for 15% off when you use that code at FractureMe.com. And a big thank you to Fracture for supporting the podcast and really making such an awesome product. Uh, I always dreaded trying to get pictures on the wall. Now I actively look forward to it. When I see something I like, I'm like, okay, this one's going up. In fact, we've got a couple now that are in rotation, depending on which season they are. So so don't forget to send us your pictures of your fractures when you get them. Let them know you heard about it from us. And thanks, Fracture, for supporting the show. So real-time feedback, David, thanks to the, the chat room. And the chat room does yeah. seem uh, quite a bit more active today with our with our weekend uh, weekday recording, by the way. Yeah, maybe we'll have to start doing this more often. Yeah, so Hi-Ho Silver. I'm guessing not their real name, um, sent us, did a little Googling during the show and sing, sent us a link to a keynote countdown timer, which I have included in the show notes. There we go. Excellent. Thank you, Silver. Yep. Okay. So you've um, been, you've been saying you wanted to have a discussion, another discussion about family sharing and, um, uh, the listeners are still having some issues with it. And we, yeah. we, we got two bits of feedback from listeners in particular, um, and, and we can go through them, who, who are kind of trying to use family sharing with adult family members and are finding that that doesn't work so well. Yeah, it's interesting that, you know, independently, uh, we received these these two emails that had kind of similar issues. Uh, and just to kind of wind back a little bit, family sharing at the beginning didn't do what it it promised to do. And I was, I was really quite disappointed with it and it got me in a whole lot of trouble with my family. Uh, now with this second iteration, I guess I'd call it as they got closer to Apple music and some other things, they fixed a lot of the original problems. We've implemented it with very little problem in our house, but uh, I guess we kind of fit in the sweet spot. My kids are old enough that they don't do dumb things, but not so old that they're, you know, above 18 and um, it's been generally working. So I made some comments to that regard. And I really haven't given the whole subject the treatment it deserves because it's kind of a big deal about how do you set it up? And maybe we'll either make that a segment or at some point we're going to we're going to give that the proper treatment on the show to explain how to do it all. But um, long story short, when you've got a legacy iTunes account plus bringing family sharing in, it's not as easy as it should be. Um uh, but what we heard from from some listeners starting with Mike was that they were having trouble with um, parental approval and things like that. Um, Mike says, you know, he's, he's had a lot of bugs with parental approval. Um, he says it'll work for a while. Then a kid will request an app and there's an infinite enter your iCloud password loop on his Mac to get it turned on. He says he turns it off, which makes him nervous because then they, they can just go download whatever they want. And and he says, why don't they have Touch ID support for this? And that's a great question. I mean, why can't you just put your thumb on your iPhone to approve when your kid wants to purchase something? Um, 
Uh, he's a big fan of Find Friends, as am I, and, and that to me is awesome. By the way, if you're using Find Friends, are you using it also on your Mac? Because now it's in the notification center, just swipe from the right. We talked about that on the El Capitan show, but I use that at least once a day. Do you, do you use that to keep track of all the people you're stalking, Katie? The uh, fine friends. People, people don't let me stalk them. No, oh, nobody's my friend. Bad. Yeah, and um, and and then there's a, a common kind of theme problem. We had a, a bit of feedback about this this month, where people are saying uh, they're having trouble splitting. You know, like um, a lot of times it's about photos. Um, like they want to have a shared photo library and quite often it's, it's uh, spouses or significant others and say, well, we just want to share a photo library. We don't want separate photo libraries. And to me that I understand why you're doing it, but unfortunately it's also kind of a path to madness because you can't, you can't share the photo library, but not share all the other data. So if you're going to share your photo, have one account, not only is your photos going to be shared, you're also going to have the same calendar, the same contacts and everything. And, it can get really nutty. Uh, so, uh, you know, and I guess the, you know, the, the flip side of that is you say, well, Dave, you're telling me to have separate accounts. Now I got to buy separate accounts for each person. Cause we have these bigger photo libraries. And my answer is unfortunately, yeah, you have to, and trust me, I get it. Cause I'm paying for four of them. I have four people in my family that are over five gigabytes at this point. Um, but I just don't think trying to share a photo library by having one account is, is the answer. But that was something Mike was talking about. Um, and um, then we also heard from Diane and Diane's question was a little bit different. Um, uh, she says, Apple seems to be defining family as people I buy stuff for with my credit card <laughs> and some yes. boundaries yes, necessary to stop people donating their apps to their friends in a wider circle. Why can't credit card owner require approval for any purchase, irrespective of the age of the family member? And in uh, Diane's particular situation, She's using family sharing with adult kids who are off at college and they will go ahead and buy whatever they want when they want to. And the way that that Apple has set up family sharing is it's based on birthdays and then you can set specific limits. So once someone hits 18, mom and dad no longer get to approve their their credit card purchases or I'm sorry, their their. their purchases. So if if your kid is 18, then they can go off and buy whatever they want. If you're in family sharing, it's going to charge it to the credit card that's tied to family sharing without any approval or authorization. And I don't know, perhaps it, it, that's, that's difficult. I, I really think that Apple did not contemplate family sharing to be used in the context of, of parents and their adult children, because you know, that's a difficult one. Uh, you know, how, how else would they better set it up? Because if you're going to say if someone is over 18, they have to put their own credit card on their account. I don't know. Well, you well just then tell, they're no you longer just, family sharing at that right. point. Because. You just tell your kids not to buy apps unless, they, I mean, you could just tell your kids, assuming they listen to you, um, not to buy apps unless they have a gift card. Because if if they do have a gift card put into their account, family sharing will use their gift card balance first before it uses your credit card balance, which is nice. And and listener Ronald writes in to say he's got a even more complicated because he's got adult children with special needs and they don't appreciate that they could spend hundreds of dollars to them. You know, they just don't they're having a little bit of an issue with that. And so he's got the problem where they're, you know, over 18. And so he's not being able to approve it. And yet he wants to have them on family sharing. And I guess the, I don't have all the answers here, but the, the the point I'm making is the first version didn't work. 
The second version worked as promised, but now we're finding all these these edge cases and other problems that that the working version doesn't solve. And I guess that the theme here is Apple needs to continue to work on this. Well, I'm sure I, they're. I think you know, Apple has designed family sharing to work for this this family in their head. You know. This ideal family group in their head that meets this criteria. And my guess is that family sharing works very well for a very large portion of people who use it. But then you get into these edge cases, David, people who have legacy accounts, people who have adult children that they want to add, people who want to share with people who are outside of their family. Um, And and then you go from there. And, you know, Bonnie in the chat room uh, correctly points out. You know, maybe parents with adult children isn't an, you shouldn't be called an edge case, but children who live outside the household, maybe Apple doesn't intend you to share with them. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. And Bonnie, what I was referring to was um, adult children with, with special needs, Um, you know, and, but the, um, but I, so I I can tell you with all that being said, and we also heard um, from one other listener uh, let me see. I'll get his name in just a second. Who had a problem with a double billing where someone in the family sharing would buy something and the bill would show up on multiple users. So I don't know. And I have not experienced that and not heard of that as a big problem, but it was Laurent. And so I don't know exactly what the story is there, but it sounds like uh, they had some real issues. Um, but getting back to it, I was very critical of it at the beginning. Uh, by and large, it's worked fine for us. I can tell you, though, I don't um, require approval when my kids buy stuff. I do look at the statement and occasionally I'll see, you know, the random Beyonce album show up, you know, and but it's not overdone, you know, with my kids. <laughs> and um, and so yeah, long and as they I think if your kids are in your household, you have a little more control over that because you can still ground them. <laughs> yeah. Or or just I can just say, look, have you know, a conversation. You, yeah. I mean. And and frankly, my kids have occasionally come in and um, and <laughs> my 14 year old came in one day and, and dropped a 20 on my desk and said, yeah, I needed that TV show. <laughs> and I didn't even know what she <laughs> bought, you know, and then I looked later. And so so it kind of works out. Um, man, I'm getting in a lot of trouble beyond with uh, Bonnie. I like Beyonce, but I'm just saying sometimes an album will show up that I didn't purchase. Uh, so it, it's working out OK with us. And I don't have these sorts of problems, but I can understand why people are and. I think that once Apple went down this road, they're going to have continuing issues and they're going to have to keep working on it. But uh, getting back to Katie's point, I think the underlying point is how do you figure out? I mean, we've got these companies that are licensing the software, music, whatever. And how do we tell them that we're not finding a way for people to steal their stuff and give it to all their friends? And the answer was they all have to be on a single credit card and the single credit yeah, card. Yeah, that's is the common. check and balance. And that's the common denominator of getting approval from the record companies and everybody to let this happen. And then that comes up with all these different side effects. So it sounds to me like one solution would be um, for the family have, sharing. Have the kid put their credit card in. But that's not that's not family sharing anymore. <laughs> no, have, um, the, have the kid be the adult and put their credit card in. Oh, I'm so looking forward to that. I'm going to so abuse that someday. <laughs> But the uh, like, but okay, for now, you're, you're going to be the organizer of this family. Go for it. But maybe maybe one solution is to let the founding member require approval for everyone, regardless of age. And that may be a solution that that may be, you know, at least as an option. OK, so we, we talked a lot about it, but we didn't really solve the problem. But it does sound like our listeners are, are dealing with that issue as well. Um, I got taken to task. I, I don't remember. Lauren wrote in. I don't remember when I said this. I think it was about one of the things on the gift guide. Yeah, we were talking about batteries. 
I was talking about 2,400 milliamps and I did not say per hour. And Lauren says, you need to say by hour. He says, electrical flow can be measured in milliamps. Electrical storage capacity can be measured in milliamp hours. It's like trying to describe the speed in miles instead of miles per hour. Thank you, Lauren. I will get that right next time. There you go. We also heard from um, Dean, and we had asked on the Brett, I think I had asked the question on the Brett Terpster show that if people wanted to go further with automation, was there a good resource? And, and Brett threw out a couple of ideas. Um, you know, if you wanted to go beyond the things that we normally recommend, the trifecta being Text Expander, Hazel, and Keyboard Maestro, um, Dean recommended a great site for Automate the Boring Stuff with Python, a practical programming guide for beginners. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. And he said, in addition to this being a great introduction to programming and the Python language, the site has some extremely practical examples of things you can do using regular expressions, manipulating files, manipulating cell spreadsheets, and more. And he says, it is free, but if you use it and you find value out of it, you should buy the author's book as well. Yeah, I, I just started toying with this and I got deep enough into it to know that I, I this is worthy of my time. So I've I've like set it aside. Someday I'm going to spend a few hours going through that book. Uh, I would also recommend uh, Code Academy has some great stuff and Linda has some great resources for that that type of thing. Um, OK, so when we did the Apple TV show, we did it kind of. Um, Actually, we'd been using it several days. I didn't want to do the show immediately and not really know what we were talking about. But one of the issues on my checklist that I hadn't got to yet was, can I deal with the volume on my Sonos device? And I just kind of shot off. I don't know if I can do it or not. I'm going to have to check it out. And then I got something like 10,000 emails Boy, were you people. wrong. <laughs> yeah. And, I told honestly, you you were wrong. Even, I told you there had to... I don't have a Sonos, but I told you there had to be a way. Yeah, well, even... um as soon as the show was over, I just Googled it because it was bugging me. And like within five minutes of finishing the show, I had it working. Uh, so, so Sonos has an IR receiver in it and you can, you can code it or you can even just um, teach it with your existing remote to blast it. I've got both my Apple TV remote and my TV remote working to uh, raise and lower the volume on Sonos and, and joy has been returned. Now my children can change the volume without having to get up off the couch, which makes me think maybe I should just turn that off again. Uh, uh, I thought this would be a good time to talk about a general Sonos update. You know, I, I obsessed on it on our show for about a year before I bought a bunch of it. And then I kind of stopped talking about it. Uh, I still love my Sonos. It's a great system. Um, we, uh, we have it kind of throughout our house. Whenever we have friends over, we have music playing throughout the house. It's, it's kind of living the dream. About six months ago, I got an advertisement from somebody that w had a sale where you got if you bought one Sonos Play one, you got the second one for free. So I got two for the price of one. And I set up kind of a surround sound system with it uh, behind my couch. And that's awesome, too, now. Uh, so when we're watching, when we have our Star Wars festival, we watch all three of the existing Star Wars movies on Saturday. Um, you know, they'll be able to hear the ships flying in behind them. So I still love my Sonos is, I guess, my point. And um, um, did you see that Apple Music is coming to Sonos? <laughs> Yeah, I could tell you more, but I I am I'm prohibited by law. But yeah, oh. it's it's on the fifteenth. On the fifteenth, it's going to be on uh, for it's going to be out for everybody on the fifteenth, and it's going to be great. So you can write from iTunes. You can send stuff directly to your Sonos. Um, the way mine is set up, though, I I have my Mac that's always running as as the resident library, and also the devices. I haven't really had that much trouble using it without Apple Music, but it's going to be even better when I get it get that working. 
Okay, uh, you want to talk about another sponsor before we get into all the iPad Pro uh, feedback? More iPad Pro feedback? Oh my goodness. Yeah. You and your iPad Pro. Yeah, Yeah, let's talk about our next sponsor, and that is our good friends over at 1Password. Um, And, you know, I love my 1Password. 1Password allows you to create strong and unique passwords across all of your devices because we all know that the one single thing that you can do to up your security game is to not reuse your passwords across your sites. Many people are guilty of it. I won't say we're all guilty of it because I know, fellow MacPower user listener, that you are not guilty of it because you don't do this anymore because you use 1Password, because you use 1Password to create strong, unique passwords, because you don't reuse passwords multiple times, because you change your passwords regularly, because you know that that's what you absolutely positively have to do. And 1Password allows you to sync all of your information across multiple devices, whether you use iCloud or whether you use Dropbox. You can share it with your Mac, your PC, your iPhone, your iPad, your Windows box if you want, even your Android devices if you want to do that. You can even share information with your Teams. Yes, 1Password Teams uh, beta is out now and it will be launching uh, early part of next year for everyone. But the feature that I want to talk about a little bit today is a feature that I think is little known for 1Password, and that's notes. I mean, notes have been in 1Password for a long time, but I think people tend to not use it. And notes are wonderful because you can create secure notes in 1Password for all kinds of things. Now, you've got your username and password stored in the app, and you've got your um, software serial number stored in the app. But notes, you can put anything you want in notes. And notes has gotten an update recently. Notes now have customers custom fields and they have custom icons and you can create your very own customizable database for any type of information you want to keep secure yet easily accessible. So here's a couple of ideas. Um, In notes, I keep family medical history. So uh, for each of my family members, I have a little idea of what medications they're taking, what they're allergic to, um, who their primary physicians are, how I can contact them. I keep all of that in one password in a secure note. So it's secure. And I know that that information isn't going to go anywhere, but if I ever need it for anything, I've got Got it. Keep a list of medications, both for myself and my family members, and dosages and information in one password. A list of questions to ask my doctor the next time I'm going if if I have questions. I keep login information for my family. So I'll have a one password note, like for my grandfather that I was talking about earlier. I manage all of his computers, which means I need to know what all of his logins are. Now I could set up a one a separate one password vault or something, but he doesn't have many. So it's easy. I just keep all of his important logins in a secure note in one password so I can keep them right there. Um, this time of year, I keep Christmas gift ideas because you know what? My family are a bunch of snoops and they do not like surprises. Like my brother will crawl under the tree and unwrap his Christmas gifts before Christmas morning and like try to put them back together. But we know because he's really bad at rewrapping things. So I've got to keep my secrets. So I put all that stuff in in a secure note inside one password. So that's just a couple of ideas of things that you can use for one password. Check it out over at onepassword.com and thanks one password for your support of the show. You should um, get like a box of rocks and just wrap it up. And say, here you go, buddy. And just put it under the tree. And then on Christmas, bring the actual gift. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, the iPad Pro, we talked about it and it's, you know, it's, it's the new sexy. So everybody's kind of talking about, we got a lot of feedback on it. Uh, Jeff wrote in with a real practical uh, email. It was online and he had a link to a, a clip on Amazon. It's just a little aluminum, I believe, clip that you can clip onto a pin. I think it was like a buck or something. That And he had a picture of it attached to his Apple Pencil, and it looked great. So we'll put that in the show notes. 
Um, so if you want a clip, you can get a clip. Uh, we got a lot of email about the big versus little iPad debate. Um, and a lot of listeners explained why they think one is better than the other. Uh, what I take from that is that um, Apple's probably doing the right thing by having multiple sizes. You know, something about Apple that's kind of come to my conscience conscious later lately is they're no longer the company that just makes one or two products. They are making a gamut of available products in different categories for people. And uh, and that's kind of new for them. I mean, I remember when that wasn't the case, but you have three sizes of iPad and like uh, one listener wrote in to say how much uh, he loves the small iPad and it's perfect for him. He would never want a big one and have one writing about why the big one is better for everything they do. And, and I guess my uh, my takeaway is get the one that works for you. Yeah, that's fine. No judgment here. Get the one that works. Um, The other subject that we got a lot of feedback on was iPad as a Mac replacement. And a lot of debate on that from listeners. The um, uh, yeah, I, I talked about that on the show. The the analogy I, I used in the uh, post for Max Sparky is, you know, just because you get a toaster doesn't need to mean you get get rid of your oven. And but you know, some people still want to just get one device. They want to narrow it down. And for some listeners, it's working. For some, it isn't. Uh, did James, you, did you listen to ATP where you know Syracuse has been doing these toaster reviews? I, I wish Cards Against Humanity would sponsor us and give us something wacky to review. That'd be hysterical. Oh yeah, that would be fun. <laughs> where, be fun. but where he got the toaster that like brewed coffee and made sausages? <laughs> I'm, I'm behind. I oh, hysterical. Yeah, I'm pretty sure that John would not like a device that does multiple things. It does nothing well. Is is the yeah. is the um, <laughs> is the spoiler alert? <laughs> but the uh, but James wrote in. You want to talk about James's comment on that? Uh, yeah, James says that he's seriously considering an iPad Pro as a Mac replacement. But the thing that holds him back is photos. He says that sh- the iPad should be the perfect platform for browsing photos. And it is for viewing and editing to some degree. But his normal photo workflow includes tagging and naming photos and faces and ultimately making an end of the year photo album. And those things just aren't supported on an iPad Pro right now. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's one big drawback. That's the thing. I mean, there may be one thing you do on a Mac that just isn't re- replaceable on the iPad. And then <laughs> well, there was a funny, well, I, I wouldn't call it funny, uh, but there's a post, a Fr- Fraser Spears, who's been a guest on our show, wrote up a post about, can your MacBook replace my iPad Pro? I think was the title of it. And he talks about all the stuff he does in the iPad that just can't be done on a MacBook. So it just depends on where you're sitting and what kind of work you're doing is I guess what it comes down to. Uh, the thing that I find kind of humorous in all this is it seems like a lot of people are really hung up on this and I wouldn't be. It either works for you or it doesn't. And that's okay. Or maybe you have the, the, the means and the need for both the devices. I, I think that's kind of where I finally settled on all this. I mean, I, I like using my Mac. I also like using my iPad and and there's things and I'm kind of going over old ground here. We already talked about it, but you can you can use both. It's OK. You have permission. Uh, the Apple Pencil gave us a lot of feedback, too, um, and I still don't have mine. So I, I felt like I was a little you know, on a ledge there talking about it because I, I'd only used one for an hour or two in the store. Got a bunch of feedback from listeners that, that have been lucky enough to get one. And everybody, I think, to. I don't think there was a single email we got where they didn't, they weren't happy with their pencil. I I don't know. This is what may make me just break down and buy an iPad. I don't really want to. Please don't make me buy an iPad Pro. I don't want one, but I want the well, pencil. Then, then don't buy one. Just wait. 
I think in a year you'll be able to get it on your darling mini. I don't want um, to wait. <laughs> well, then you have a problem. <laughs> the uh, uh, listener Brian wrote in. He said, "You know, because we had a out, in the outline for the iPad show, we had kind of a a, a, a um, workflow at the end saying, you know, what which iPad do you get? You know, we talked about size and color and radio and stuff. And Brian start. He says, you you missed something. He says the first question is, do you want the pencil? Um, he says, because if you want the pencil, you can't even consider size. There's only one that supports it. And according to Brian, the pencil is so great that it's worth getting the, the one bigger than you want. And, um, and that was not an unusual email. We received a word from a lot of people, uh, that, that mirrored that. And almost every one of them already had a pencil except me. Have you gotten yours yet? No, uh, I ordered one from Best Buy and from Apple and the Apple one is still, I think a couple weeks out and the Best Buy one is supposed to be here like tomorrow. So at some point I'll have one anyway. Yeah. Um, speaking uh, of, uh, are you done with the pencil? Or you want to, yeah, I'm done with the pencil. Okay. And just, just to close up on the iPad pro, I, my, my opinions have been reinforced, uh, for playing music on the piano for, proofreading pdfs we're dealing with word and pages documents it really is pretty great and sometimes it feels like it's too big when i'm using it to you know do other things um we were talking about holiday gift giving and shopping and the the guide the mac power users geek gift guide episode and i talked about camel 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 which is a service that i use for amazon um, to, to price track on Amazon. And we got word back from Luca that says Camel 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 is great, but it doesn't work so great on iOS. He uses an app installed called instead called Price Radar, and we'll put a link in that in the show notes, which basically does the same thing, but uh, it alerts you with push notifications. So it's great for short-lived sales. Yeah, I, I downloaded it, and I, I haven't tested it thoroughly yet, but I, I'm impressed with the initial um, use of this app. Uh, Steven, uh, wrote in, we did a, the launcher smackdown recently, and he gave me a power tip on the launch bar that I was not aware of. Um, so I talked about in the show, how I use the action key, you know, uh, where if you hit command space and then you, you can uh, then further move the appropriate folder, you know, just by going through selecting enter. And it usually knows what I want to do based on where I'm at. It, the, the program learns, but he says, rather than hitting enter, hit command enter, and it moves the file without presenting the list of options, which is what I usually do. And I, man, that's great. Thanks, Stephen. I've been using that already. And uh, and I really appreciate that that tip. So if you're using launch bar, try command enter next time and it saves you, you know, a little bit of a step. As Stephen, I think he timed it. He says five milliseconds. But hey, that adds up, right? Um, Lauren wrote in and said, you guys talked about launchers, but you never mentioned Launchpad. <laughs> and, uh, uh, no, we didn't. <laughs> and um, you know what? It never even occurred to me, but, but that is probably something we should have talked about. That's the built-in app in OS 10 where you can use your mouse to go launch an app. And, um, but isn't the purpose of a launcher, you don't have to use your mouse. Yeah, but Lauren took me to task and said, hey, you know, you always talk about this keyboard stuff, but I got a Mac back in the day because I like it. To me, using the keyboards is a PC thing, and uh, I want to use my mouse. Okay, and you can do that. For Lauren, launch Launchpad works. Um. All right, so we uh, we talked about Apple TV already. Uh, we did get a lot of feedback on Plex. Um, the uh, one question we had on Plex, I'll just follow up to close the loop on that. Um, Chuck wrote in and said, 
what's the merits? Because now Chuck wants to use Plex as well. It's on the Apple TV. Uh, should I use it on the Drobo or the the uh, the network attached storage, or should I use it off a of Mac? Um, uh, Katie, did we talk about the relative timing of that stuff? Have you had any issues? Because I know you're running it off a of NAS, and I'm running it off a of Mac. Are you having any problems? No, but I will say that, uh, so I keep all of my stuff on my Drobo 5N, which does have an SSD in it for that little speed boost. So maybe that helps a little bit. I, I will tell you, I am not transcoding. Just about all of the files that I keep on my Drobo are already formatted for Apple TV. Yeah. So it's really just reading and playing, and it's on a gigabit Ethernet network. Both the Drobo and the Apple TV are um, attached via gigabit Ethernet. So it, at this point, it's not transcoding. It's just reading, and it, it hasn't been a problem. Yeah, and I've got it on a Mac. I haven't had a problem. I've had have it connected by Wi-Fi uh, between those two devices. There isn't a direct connect. So I did notice recently I hadn't used it for about a week, and I went in and had to repopulate the directories. And that took about, I don't know, it took about 20 seconds. So I, I think if you've got an NAS drive, it, go for it. And if it's not working for you, do a test with the Mac, but I think you're going to be fine with either one. Yeah, I mean, just keep in mind, you you want a NAS that is designed to work with Plex, and keep in mind that if you're transcoding, you're always going to be slower. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a fair statement. Hey, uh, let's talk about our last sponsor and then get into some of the general feedback. Once again, we had some great general feedback this month, and we've got a bunch of stuff we want to share. But but before we get there, I wanted to talk about our friends over at the Omni Group. They've been a longtime sponsor of the Mac Power users. And one of the applications they have I haven't talked about for a while is OmniGraffle. And OmniGraffle, to me, is like the the do-it-all diagramming tool. It just works. And uh, in my life, I quite often want to present information visually. And you think, you know, as a lawyer, I use words, but, you know, visual, it works as well. And if you look at the studies, a lot of people can't learn with words. They need to see a visual representation. So I'm not above putting diagrams and legal briefs and and jury, you know, exhibits and things like that. And I'm also not above using them in all my Max Sparky work. And for years, that was always a problem for me because creating a diagram can be quite difficult. But the folks at the Omni Group solved this problem. They made this amazing, super useful application that can do just that. It makes diagrams really simple. If you connect to objects in an Omni Graffle diagram, uh, they have mag magnets attached to them. So when you move them around the screen, the line stays connected. If you type in an outline with words, it automatically creates a hierarchical diagram. Like, uh, Katie, at some point, you know, because I know you do a lot of estate planning in your in your day job, you could sit down and just type in the hierarchical diagram of the family members, and it would automatically make this beautiful chart for people that you could give them. Um, and this is just some of the things you can do with OmniGraffle. They're continuing to make it even better, though. They've got uh, they've got a new thing going in on the iOS where they're going to be able to recognize shapes you draw with the Apple Pencil and and clean them up and make automatically, you know, nice circles and squares and rectangles with it. You can create anything with OmniGraffle. People do floor plans. People do application layouts. I do it for a lot of relationship stuff because a lot of the, the day job stuff I do involves companies and how they work together or who was doing what. And I make these really intricate diagrams with it. And it's just amazing how nice they look. Uh, people always mistake the stuff I use as being prepared by a professional. And it's not. It's prepared by me. And sometimes in very little time, sometimes I do it while I'm talking to someone on the phone. And 
they keep adding to it. Like one of the nice thing about um, OmniGraffle is there's these external libraries that people have made of objects that you can just drop into your OmniGraffle diagram. So even if you're not an artist, you don't need to be. Once you get the application, you can just download all these external libraries and they've got everything there from planning your yard to making a perfect presentation. You drop, you just drop the objects on and you go for it. Almost every graphic that's in any of my books or appears on my website or any of the stuff I do on the law side is done in OmniGraffle. Uh, this was some of the best money I ever spent when I bought the application. Now, if you're out there and you have a need for diagramming software and you've never taken the plunge, now's the time. Go in there you can get a free downloadable trial and you're going to see how easy it is to use. You don't need to be a graphic artist to make this work. And that's what, what makes it so liberating. OmniGraffle, in essence, democratizes uh, beautiful graphics. So anybody can make them. Go check it out. Um, OmniGroup.com. And they've got a whole page there devoted to it. They've got the application for the Mac and the iOS and everything else. Let them know you heard about it from us. We'd really appreciate that. But just just up, up your game right now with your diagrams with OmniGraffle. So go check it out. Thanks, OmniGroup, for sponsoring the show. Wow. Believe it or not, we still have a ton of stuff to cover. I know. We not we may not make it all today. Oh. It was it was a good month for feedback. We had some great feedback this month. Yeah. Well, we've talked a lot about Evernote, you know, a program that is still near and dear to my heart, despite the seeming to have a little trouble recently. Uh, yeah. But I know a lot of people are wanting to try to transition over to Apple Notes like you are, David. And and Flo wrote in and said that she decided to follow your lead and try to transition her 800 or so notes out of Evernote into um, Apple Notes. And she found a script, and we'll put a link in the show notes to that script, um, that allowed her to do that. She said it was exactly what it was what she was looking for. And out of her approximately 800 some odd notes and about 10 folders, it only had trouble with about 15 of them. And she was able to import those problematic ones automatically. Um, she said as a nice bonus point, the script was able to add additional information like the geo coordinates or tags in some kind of JSON format at the bottom of the note. So all of that information is being kept. She said the only downside that she can see so far is that the notes app doesn't seem to support tables. But she um, got all the important part, the contents of the tables, um, but it turned in, into a pretty unstructured mess. Yeah, we're going to put a link to that in the show notes. But Larry, the guy who, who made the script, is also a Mac Powery's listener. He's actually sent me a few emails. And um, it's nice to see that one of Apple's kind of staple products is is a contender, again, to be useful on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, we've heard from a lot of people talking about this whole notes thing. So I, I don't think this is the end of it. The only thing that worries me is I hope this isn't one of those products that Apple, you know, spent a bunch of time on and now they just leave it to linger, um, which is always kind of a risk with some of these things. Uh, a lot of questions about iCloud and, um, and, you know, I've actually kind of covered Dave wrote in talking about wanting to share a photo stream with his wife, but not wanting to share other data. And I think I've an answered that question already when we were talking above. Um, you can't really do that. You got to you got to either. Not yet. But I, I think Apple is actively working on on photos, whereas maybe they aren't so much on other apps. I think that may be coming soon. Yeah, I can tell you what we one thing we do in our in our house and and I've mentioned this before on the show, so just bear with me. But we have those uh, photo shared libraries. You know, we have shared libraries that we all get in whenever we have a family event and, and everybody knows to make one now. And 
And that works pretty nice. And my wife and I have some that are really large that we share with each other. So even though we don't have a shared library, we have little you know components of that that we share with each other. And in my opinion, that's actually ideal for me because a lot of pictures she takes, I don't I don't have any interest in looking at and vice versa. So there you have it. Um, uh, Lindsay wrote in about text and we've talked a lot about using text in the past and how we like to use text to keep things clean. And uh, what she what she asked about was, what do you guys do for that last mile? How do you you know, once you have the text and you want to use it somewhere, what do you do with it next? And she had said, you know, do you go to Scrivener or Word or Pages? And and it was an interesting email because I felt like we never really covered that. And my answer to her question is, you know, do I do Scrivener, Word or Pages? And the answer is yes. You know, I I use all of them. Um, to me, that's the production level of this stuff. I mean, the writing the words is the hard part. And that's why I like to use these these tools like Scrivener or Ulysses or something like that. But but in terms of getting it out into the world, it just depends. Like if I'm doing something at contract or a pleading that's going to be shared with opposing counsel, I always do it in Word because I know that they'll have that. If it's something that just I'm going to control, I may do it in pages. It, it just depends. But um, and my advice to anybody would be find the the final production tool that works for you best and use that. But don't try and do all your work in that tool, because all, quite often it's a lot harder or, or just not as good. Yeah. We also heard from several listeners, you know, in our Optimize Your Mac show, we were lamenting that, you know, the Mac doesn't have Touch ID and how we love Touch ID on our iOS devices. And we had several people, including Todd, who wrote in and said, well, you know, there's this app called Mac ID that will let you unlock your Mac with your iOS device that uses Touch ID. And there have been some other apps that will like let you knock your iOS device and do things like this. But um, Mac ID seems to be pretty cool. So it's got an iOS device and a companion Mac device. Um, so I've put a link in the show notes if you want to check it out. Um, we had a lot of uh, feedback on DevonThink, and that's been kind of lingering around. I think I'm going to put that one on hold because I'm doing some big experiments with DevonThink. I may have a lot more to say about that in the future. So let's just wait on that one. But um, the the most important piece of feedback we have in this entire episode, David. <laughs> I knew you were going to do this to me. <laughs> yes. Um, is from Neil deGrasse, who says. Wait, wait a second. Did Neil deGrasse write us? He wrote me. Oh, to, did he? To let me know. Okay. He yes. didn't copy me. He didn't copy you because he thought you would be sad. Um, yeah. Yeah. But this was published by The Verge that, that totally said that the Enterprise would kick the Millennium Falcon. But, yeah, we're going to put that. So so if there was a fight between the Millennium Falcon and the Enterprise, um, Neil deGrasse, who might be a hack, we're not really sure. I mean, how many spaceships has he flown? I want to know. Uh, says that the Enterprise would win. I, I have several issues with that article. The first is, I'm not sure that that's actually a fair representation. Uh, the Enterprise is like a battleship, and the... No, the Enterprise is a vessel for exploration. Yeah, it has a lot of people on it. It has photon torpedo. It has all this stuff. And whereas the Millennium Falcon is really just, uh, you know, it's a it's a cargo ship, Corellian, yeah. made to, you know, make the Kessel run. Uh, and, I think and a he, parsec. And like so many parsecs, you know, a parsec is like a measure of distance. It's not even it's not even a speed. I'm sorry, but you don't you don't live in Star Wars land, so maybe they have different language there. That's and, all I'm saying. And you know, light speed is like warp one. We Seems we can like you, you, we can go see. like warp nine point seven five or faster. 
It seems like you're trying to divert this discussion, Katie Floyd. I'm just telling you why the Enterprise is so much better. We have photon torpedoes. All you've got is these little pew, 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 pew things. <laughs> I, I feel like the, the comparison should not be the Enterprise versus the Falcon, but maybe like Enterprise versus a Death Star or one of those rebellion, you know, frigates. It doesn't seem to me like it's a really fair comparison. I mean, so I think his starting point is in the wrong place. I think we'd take all that. You, you take it all on? Yeah, we, we got this. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, we, we, we blew up the Borg. Not, not initially. Not initially. Wasn't there some hacking involved with that? That wasn't really. Riker like took care of them. Weapons. <laughs> we used our brains. Yeah. Well, uh, all that being said, I am so excited about Star Wars. As we record this, we're like a couple of weeks away. Man, I cannot wait. Yes, I'm actually very excited about it, too. We, we've already discussed we both have tickets opening night. Yeah. So um, there you go. Okay. Uh, you have any tech you're playing with this week? Uh, you know, I want to plug an oldie but but goodie. And um, I, I admit I have been doing a lot of shopping online. I, I do not go out on the stores anymore for Black Friday, but I've been doing almost all of my holiday shopping online which means I've been tracking a lot of packages. So um, the June Cloud makes a great app and they've got a companion. Uh, there's a Mac App Store app. So they've got a widget and there's an iOS app just called Delivery Status. Um, and it is, I think, hands down the best app for tracking all of your packages. And they also have a companion cloud service that links into the app. So what happens is you download the app for your Mac if you'd like. You download it for your iOS device, which is really where it's golden. And you sign up for their, their cloud-based service and you register your email addresses with these services. And then when you get one of these notifications that your Amazon.com order has shipped, you just forward that notification to track at junecloud.com or whatever the, the email address is that they give you. And it knows, okay, well, because this came from Katie's email address, I'm going to send this to Katie's account. And all of your deliveries, it's smart enough to pull out the tracking numbers from your deliveries and then all your deliveries are going to show up with your app. You're going to get notifications on your phone, on your watch, on your Mac, wherever you want them of the status of your app. And you can just watch them all the way in. So there you go. Yeah, I'm going to also go with an oldie, but a goodie. I mentioned Sonos earlier. Um, man, it is so great. I love my Sonos. And they came out with a new feature called True Play. And it's 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 on the application on the iPhone. So you stand in the room and you press the True Play button. And then it plays music or sounds through the Sonos and it measures how it's bouncing off the walls. It, it basically tunes your system using the iPhone microphone. It's it's a very clever thing. It's something that you could only do with like an integrated speaker system. And it just feels to me like these guys just keep upping their game. So uh, Sonos, boy, it, it, it is worth it. Um, anyway, so this was a great live show. We did have to skip over some. We're, we're sorry if we didn't get you in the show. We ran out of time, but we're going to get some of that pushed to next month. But we also want to hear from you for next month. So if you've got something to share with us, please do so. Send us an audio pitch to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Keep them to under two minutes. We had a bunch of really long ones this month, and we just couldn't use them because it, it's just too long. So keep them to two minutes or less. Um, but you don't even have to send in an audio comment to send in an email or carrier pigeon or whatever it is you want to get it to us. Uh, ask MPU works as well. So if you're in um, Twitter, just uh, hashtag ask MPU and we'll get that. Thank you to our sponsors this week, uh, Arc, uh, Fracture and Fracture. Uh, it's FractureMe.com and that, that coupon code is MAC15, all caps. Uh, one password. We got a special link for you in the show notes for that and the Omni group. What I miss, Katie? 
Um, I think you got it. I think you covered everything. Um, We typically do this on the first Saturday of the month. I know we're doing it a little off schedule this time. Uh, You can join us normally for MPU Live at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, But let us know what you think about the new time, and we'll, we'll consider maybe rescheduling that. And we will see you all next time.